hey, you may be greeted as you're seated, because with COVID, we're allowed to do that now. So say hi to someone near you. Uh, it has been a weird time to do church when you like love people and like to touch and hug and everyone hug, big hug. Um, anyway, as the kids, uh, kids church uh, is heading out that way. No one, everyone's afraid to be the first to go. Uh, there is kids' church. They're heading out that way. Denise will lead you down. Um, <laughs> we know the sound guy cannot go. Who am I going to blame if things go wrong? <laughs> so, <laughs> but I can't if he goes to kids' church. Um, anyway, <laughs> we're, we're going through the book of Psalms. And, and so each week we kind of we jump out with a different one. And so this week uh, we, we chose Psalm 51. Now, some of you are immediately like, oh boy, that one. Some of you are like, I don't know which one that one is. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, l- think about this song. I re- I've really enjoyed this week thinking about this psalm, and um, there's a certain song that's going to come up later that I've been singing in my head, which maybe you don't know, and singing in the shower too, as my kids can probably attest. Uh, but it, it, it's one of those, it, it, there's a song that some of you may not recognize the psalm offhand, but you'll, you'll recognize maybe some of the words when we get into it. Uh, but one of the things this psalm's making things about, there's, you know, a lot of people don't want to take ownership when they're wrong, right? You ever been in that situation? Some of you are like, uh, parents are all nodding real hard. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, you know when, when, when we're caught doing something wrong, what we, we, a lot of us tend to make excuses. Well, I was wrong, but, you know, because of this or that, or they didn't do their part. Or, or you know, we blame others for sure. You know, he made me do it. Uh, and for the, uh, for the last few weeks, you may, you may have noticed, you may not have, we tend to read the psalm in its entirety and then kind of dig into it. And so I'm going to mix it up a little bit this week uh, because I want to address the occasion for the writing of it. As we mentioned, some of the psalms have, like, you know, this one right after the, the, if you're in, you know, if you were in the book of Psalms in a Bible, you open it up, there's a little, like a little bit of wording before the first verse starts. Uh, and so this one kind of gives us the occasion, if you will. Um, and sometimes I think the context, when we know it, will help us appreciate the psalm even more. Uh, you know, I've, I've always liked history and stuff, but sometimes history can be kind of boring, right? And, and so, like, I, was, I recently watched these World War II documentaries. Some of you watched them, and it's like they were just amazing because they really took the events in history that kind of made those things happen and brought things to life, because the context helps us. So we're going we're gonna, to, you know, jump in, because this one says, for the choir director, a psalm of David regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And so we're going to open up to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Uh, you can follow along. I'm going to sort of summarize the story, if you will. And so David is a good king. He, he does well. He, he takes over after Saul. He, he's, he was such a good king that even today, I was talking earlier to some people about the first time I took Hebrew was from, um, it, I, there was like two of us in the class who weren't Jewish, uh, and it was sort of, it was, it was modern Hebrew, and my instructor was, I think, an Israeli drill sergeant, because she was kind of tough, you know, ever, anyone ever, and, and I was, uh, and, but didn't understand some of the cultural cues, so they still say today, you know, David is David king in Israel, the answer should be Ken, but I said low. So no, the answer should be yes, but I said no, because I'm thinking he's gone. But they, you know, they, they esteem him so much as a king, they even still say, you know, he, he is king in Israel. Of course, you know, we worship the uh, 
the descendant of him. Uh, and so he's a good king. He fought battles. And, and generally in those days, the king goes out with the battles. So this time, though, David kind of stays at home. So they're out, you know, fighting war. He's chilling at home. And, and, he, and he looks out and he sees uh, Bathsheba. And she's taking a bath. I've always wondered if there's an etymology there that we get there. I don't know. Uh, uh, he's up on the roof. He sees things. Uh, and he sends, you know, hey, who's that? And the, his servant's like, oh, that's uh, Uriah's wife. Now, Uriah was like one of his mighty men, one of the people who defended David. You know, he was kind of uh, someone David knew, was loyal to David, but David acts on it anyway, his impulse. And so uh, he goes out, uh, Bathsheba comes, uh, she gets pregnant. And that's like that awkward moment where David's like, what do I do, what do I do? Instead of owning up to it, what does he do? Anyone know the story? He, he, like, calls for Uriah to come back from the battlefield. He's kind of like, hey, just give me an update. How are things going? Well, you can go home for your wife tonight. Um, thinking his, his, his error would be covered up. But he's, uh, he's, uh, he's a warrior. He's loyal to David. He's like, I can't go home and be with my wife and enjoy, you know, living here while the men are in the battlefield. So he sleeps with the guards, like, in front of the palace. And so David's like, hey, what's going on there? <laughs> you know, go home. You know, he's like, no, how can I do that? Well, the men are out in battle. He, so David gets him drunk. A little more detail you didn't think the Bible had, right? <laughs> and so thinking, okay, when he gets drunk, he'll, he'll kind of stumble home. You know, his integrity will be a little different. Because, you know, generally when you get drunk, you don't make better decisions. You make worse decisions. I'm just saying. <laughs> Hold my beer is usually the precursor to a bad decision, not here's my salad. Um, and so, you know, he sets him up, but, you know, he, he doesn't, he, he's still, you know, a, a good guy. He doesn't go. And so David's like, ah, plan B. So he sends Uriah out with him, you know, to, uh, he sends word to the army, and, and basically they, they advance with Uriah in the front into the hardest part of battle, and then they withdraw, leaving him there. And so, you know, he, he's, David hears this, he's, Upset at the loss of battle, but he's fine because, well, we, we, we know what was going on there. And so David thinks, you know, hey, we, I got this. You know, Bathsheba mourns uh, her time with, with uh, mourns Uriah. That time's over. So David takes her as a wife. He's thinking this can kind of get covered up. You know, maybe people aren't so good at math. Maybe we can make this, this work or, you know. Um, and so he thinks he's good. But then this guy named Nathan the prophet... Uh, confronts him. And, and so we're going to read that in 2 Samuel chapter 12. It says, So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owed a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb. It grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. And so you picture, like, this is how a lot of us treat our dogs, right? You know, <laughs> Some, you know, some of you know, I, we've, we've adopted a, a, a dog recently, Loki, who is mischievous but very loved, you know, and you know, we like to pick up, cuddle. He's a tiny little dog. He's only 60 pounds, so we cuddle him and hold him. Um, some of you think that's a large dog. That's small. Chewy was like twice that. Uh, <laughs> and, and so, he, you know, he, he's this cute little, uh, you know, you picture this cute little lamb. It's, it's part of the family. Everyone's really attached to this lamb right now, right? Because like, oh, that's so sweet. All right, 
You may not want to listen to this next part. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal for his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Ouch. This is like a good sermon. Like Good sermons, like sometimes it's like a good joke. It, it pulls you in, and then you don't see the punchline, and boom. And so D- David's thinking, this guy's been unjust. And then, boom, Nathan, you are that man. Now, it's nice to me when some people are like, you the man, you know, <laughs> like guys do that, you the man. That's good. Not, this, not in this case. You the man is a bad thing here. <laughs> you are that man. Uh, <laughs> he's a hypocrite. He's a liar. In that moment, now, you kind of wonder, you know, in that moment, you know, I always wonder, like, was Nathan sort of, nervous coming into this or was he kind of bold you know because i mean it is the king king can do whatever he wants right this is you know we we think our politicians have sway and control today it's a lot different when you're a king we even celebrate today sorry (laughs) the day that we said we didn't want a king in america right july 4th (laughs) it's a ungrateful colonist day for some people uh uh, but but you know he's but you know, David is actually struck with remorse, and he repents. And, and so this is, you know, where we get this psalm. And, and David was a, a writer of psalms. And, and so we get this, for, uh, starting in verse, well, starting in the superscript there. For the choir director, Psalm of David, regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion, it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned, I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. So now to break things down a bit. Uh, <laughs> verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. 
Uh, your unfailing love. Now, we've talked about, I don't like to throw a lot of Greek and Hebrew words out there. Some pastors, like when they first learn Greek and Hebrew, like every other word is like something significant. But sometimes when you look up a word in the Greek or the Hebrew and you do hours and hours of study and research on that word, you find out it just means exactly what it's translated as. <laughs> but, but this word is one I, what I've said before. It's hesed. And it, it's sort of gets translated different ways, uh, you know, uh, unfailing kindness, uh, loving kindness. It, it, it's the idea that, that God is always one who extends mercy. You know, we don't deserve it. We, we often go our own way, do our own thing, and, and yet God has this, this hesed, this, this covenant faithfulness, and he often makes covenants with Israel, he, he makes promises, and, you know, if, if you read the, the, the Bible, often they don't live up to it, Right? I mean, he, ta he takes them out of Egypt, and then just right afterwards, they're like, man, if we could only go back to Egypt, <laughs> you know, and, and they, they're, you know, they're worshiping other gods. Moses is up on the mountain getting, you know, Ten Commandments. They're making a calf going, hey, we didn't do it. It just kind of appeared. <laughs> um, Aaron's trying to scapegoat. <laughs> but anyway, that's another one. But, but you know, there, there's all these things. And so we see that. We see constantly that God, despite our sinfulness, despite the fact that we often go wrong, you know, God has this loving kindness. He has this faithfulness to us even when we don't deserve it. This is blot out the stain, wash, purify. I remember my wedding day. Um, you, know, you know, it's little details you forget except something goes wrong. And I, I had a bit of a cold the day we got married. And, um, you know, I, I had a, like a white shirt with like ruffly things and stuff, you know, that, that you tend to, like the tuxedo thing. I know some of you are like hard to imagine me in a tux. Uh, I, I post a picture like once a year or every couple of years and you go, who is that guy standing next to Denise? Because she kind of roughly looks the same. Uh, you know, me a little different. <laughs> and, and, and so I, I remember I was getting ready and I still remember um, because I eventually worked at that church later. <laughs> I remember specifically being in the kitchen because uh, that's where the dudes were hanging out. Because you always have to have like, whenever you're doing a wedding, there's like a place the girls are hanging out and I don't know what y'all do. Probably your hair and nails, I don't know. <laughs> dudes, we just kind of sit around and go, dude. Uh, <laughs> But because I had a cold, uh, I, I sent somebody out to get me cough syrup, and I like this particular cough syrup because I was like, man, I got to be able to say my vows. You know, we've, we've been waiting for this day. I've been waiting a long time to marry Denise. I've been dating her since I was like 13. So, I mean, I was ready to marry this woman. I think we, we dated like, what, 10 years, 9, 10? Anyway, we, a while. <laughs> and so I was excited. I wanted me to make sure. I could. And so I got cough syrup. Now, this is where everything goes wrong. <laughs> Not the marrying of Denise, that was good. But I thought, you know, I don't want to spill it on a spoon. I didn't have a spoon, even though I was in a kitchen. I'm a dude, I can't see the spoons right in front of me. You know, there are probably spoons everywhere. Like, you know, yesterday we're driving down the road, we're on the backcountry road, there's some deer off the back left corner, you know, you know, at someone's yard on a turn, and I'm like, oh, look, deer. You know, I, that I can't find the mustard in the fridge when it's like right on the same place it always is. No other dudes are ever like that, right? Anyway, so I couldn't find a spoon. So I decided, in my great wisdom, I would just chug a little. Um, well, the problem is cough syrup. Why do you take cough syrup? Because you're coughing. So when you s take a big chug and you cough in the middle, what happens? <laughs> and uh, I got cough syrup all down. Now, this is like literally moments before I'm supposed to go out front. Um, I, I still remember I called my mom, I'm like, Mom, what do I do? And she was kind of like, ah! 
it's like, get her rid of her, okay? <laughs> and and I, 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 it was funny because I took a, I still remember, like giant pot holders and stuff, and I'm using water, and I'm blotting and blotting. And believe it or not, that red cough syrup, you couldn't see it in the pictures. It was gone. And so it was, it needed to be blotted out. And some of you are like, oh good, because the pictures showed out, you know, or maybe you're wondering why Jeff's always like holding something in his pictures, like giant Bible, why is Jeff carrying a giant Bible? Uh, but I made a mistake, I needed cleansing, right? And, and so something had to blot out. And our only basis of approach to God is his mercy. We, we approach God, we get justice, none of us could stand, but he wipes away the stain. He, he clears it from us. Uh, David says here, he recognizes his rebellion. You know, I don't know, some of you watched the same cartoons as I did growing up. I I know my kids watched some of them because my parents had them on DVDs, and uh, they were older cartoons, so maybe some of you were even older than me would remember. But you remember there was always this, like, like, I dare you, it was like Bugs Bunny, to step over this line. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And I don't know where that comes from culturally. I don't... think I ever, like on the schoolyard that I can recall, said, I dare you, we'll fight if you step over this line. Uh, But that's kind of where it is. It's like, you know, you draw a line, uh, and then the the character would always step over, and the bugs would keep drawing lines, and they'd go off a cliff or something. But, (laughs) you know, uh, the the point of our rebellion is, you know, God's drawn a line, and what do we do? We, We step over it. We knew who drew the line. We knew where the line is. There's clarity, but we still step over it. There's rebellion. Uh, I think of it as like a fence that God has drawn to keep us from danger, but you you kind of you you naturally go over the fence, right? Because they always say you know the grass is greener on the other side, uh, you know, and, and we always seem to do that. We've jumped the fence, and so with David and Bathsheba, Bathsheba, David crossed the line. You know, he he jumped the fence. He he knew his rebellion, and, and you know we often talk about the ABCs of faith here. You have to one step one is admit, it, 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 admit. Uh, that what we're doing is sin, that, what, that we're sinners. And a lot of us, we don't want to admit what we do is sin. We don't even like that word. We want to take it out of the Bible, some of us. <laughs> you know, but there's you know, ways that we're created to be, w- ways that, that God's told us to act, and we step over that line. There, there is rebellion in us. And maybe, you know, David's was sexual. Maybe yours is sexual. Or, or maybe it's other ways. You know, uh, there's a whole lot of things in the Bible about how we treat the poor <laughs> and needy. There's a whole lot of things how we treat marginalized people. And, and so there's all these things in ways that, that it's clear where the line is, but we step over it. So even if yours is not like David and Bathsheba, maybe there's an area that you can think, hey, I got rebellion. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and it was funny. I, there was a book years ago, and I've, I've talked about it a couple times, I actually read the table of contents this time. I didn't read the whole Bible. Um, no, the whole book. I've read the whole Bible <laughs> multiple times. But, you know, I, I've, I've, you know, the book is called A Christian Atheist, which is sort of a weird, you know, pairing of terms. Uh, but the idea is, and Craig Groeschel wrote the book, and I had a copy, and I think someone borrowed it, although they may have brought it back after the last time I mentioned it in the sermon because they felt bad because they still had the book. But the idea is... You know, we often call ourselves believers, call ourselves followers of Jesus, but then there's certain areas of life we don't want to give over to him. So we're Christian, but we kind of live in rebellion and like an atheist in this area. And I'm not not talking just struggles in areas, but sometimes there's just whole sections of our life we don't want to give over. In fact, I remember distinctly when I was kind of coming to faith in Christ, it was this process, and I remember just giving chunks of them. I'm like, okay, God, I'll give you this part of my life. 
I'll give you this part of my life. I'll give you this part of my life. And then eventually I went, you know what? Your ways are pretty good. I'm just going to, and, and you're God. I'm not. So here, you can have the whole life. But, but a lot of times we, we sort of cut him out of certain areas. And, and it's easy. You can grow up going to church on Sunday, right? But do you, you keep doing this stuff on Monday? You know, the rest of your life? Are, are, are we acting like we should? Um, and again, there's this tension because we're not made right with God by what we do. But it's purely on, on our basis of our faith in him, our trust in him. But we live differently because we know him. It's this new set of rules, this new set, set, uh, way of living. Uh, David's rebellion, he knew. <laughs> uh, how many of us know, though, where our own rebellion is, yet choose to sin? We, we choose to go in the wrong direction. There's forgiveness, but we need to recognize and admit our sin before we can seek forgiveness. Um, those of you who know me know I like certain things, but you, some of you may not know, unless you've gone on a road trip with me, I really like chocolate milk. See, people were like, what? I thought you were going to say bacon. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I, the adding of chocolate to milk is, is cause for celebration, and any celebration is a good reason to add chocolate to milk. Um, it's just two beautiful things, especially with a really good milk, because there is a difference in milks. I'm sorry. I, I, um, we, when we lived in Maine, we were friends with dairy farmers, and I learned the difference in milks, and oh my gosh, you can taste the difference. Uh, and then I found out where they rebranded the good expensive milk under the cheap name, and I would go get the cheap because, <laughs> you know, I was frugal. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, good, good, good glass of chocolate milk. You, you, you add chocolate. I remember distinctly I was, like, excited because I got up and there was still chocolate syrup left, and for me it's got to be Hershey's, sorry. <laughs> and uh, I haven't gotten in the can in a long time, but I do remember it in the can. <laughs> and, you know, I remember I, I got a big glass of milk and I poured the chocolate in and I stirred it up, and you know that moment when you're like, can enjoy this so much. And I took a big swig, and guess what? The milk had gone bad. So I got a little bit of surprise when I took my, expecting this sweet goodness of chocolate milk, and instead I get something quite different. Uh, now here's the thing. In that moment, I could have, you know, recognized the decay, if you will, the sin, the problem with that milk, and just kept chugging it. Or I could stop drinking it. Now, most of you just, when I talk about drinking sour, spoiled chocolate milk, think this is the worst thing I've ever heard at this church. I would not do this. But how many of us recognize the sin, decay, the sourness of the way we live, but we keep drinking the milk? And so, you know, we continue verse 4. It says, against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Um, you know, sin, the, the idea of sin, we use this word a lot, it, it is missing the mark. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a term from archery, the sin was the degree off the bullseye. And, and, you know, maybe some of you have seen Hunger Games, you know, Katniss. Like when she's before the sponsors the first time, she takes the shot and she's like off. And then the other one, she you know, right on. <laughs> and with the apple, some of you don't know that. You should probably watch the movie, I don't know. Or maybe not, I don't care. <laughs> but the point is, you know, one is off, the other's the bullseye. And so in our lives, are we, you know, off or bullseye? 
And, and we all have degrees in, in areas of our life where we sin. Where there's this offness. And so, you know, the idea is we all miss the mark, but uh, we do something against it. And David says, against you and you alone have I sinned. Now, that's a funny verse in this psalm because if you read it, again, what happened? David, Bathsheba, Uriah, like the whole nation. I mean, his sin had really affected a lot of different people. It's not like he did something off by himself in a corner somewhere. And sin often affects the people around us, uh, often those that we, we, we love the most. And the commentators noted this. He said, you know, a wrong done to a neighbor is an offense against humanity. In the eyes of the state, it may be wrong and a crime. But only before God is it sin. You know, uh, um, J, uh, the, the, the same commentator says this. All wrong done to our neighbor is wrong done to one created in the image of God. All tempting of our neighbor is evil, uh, in e to evil is taking part, uh, the part of Satan against God. And so far as in us lies, defeating God's good purpose of grace toward him. All wounding of another, whether in person or in property, in body or in soul, is a sin against the goodness of God. So sin may affect others, and, and, and you might be sinning, but it's really, it, it, it's about our relationship with God, and that's what it's affecting. You know, things we do are sin, but it's primarily offense against God. Um, for I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Now, we're not blaming mom, <laughs> but we're naming our predicament. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Uh, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Now, the ESV, we were reading from the New Living Translation. Well, many of you know, I like the New Living Translation because it's just easy to understand. But sometimes ESV tends to be more literal, which sometimes more literal is not the best translation. Those of you who have done any translational work know that sometimes the literal meaning, like I, I, you know, I took French in high school, and I might tell my wife, oh, mon petit chou, which is like a term of endearment, but it means my little cabbage, you know, which wouldn't translate too well <laughs> to, to other uh, contexts. So sometimes the most literal is not the best translation. Uh, but I, I like the ESV here because a lot of other translations pick up this, and this may sound familiar to you. It says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Ever, anyone have that in their, their translation they're reading? Uh, and hyssop, um, I don't, I'm not saying hiccup, but it's a, <laughs> it was a small plant that's kind of brush-shaped, uh, just by, by nature. I've never had a hyssop branch that I know of. Uh, and so in Hebrews chapter 9, we read this, starting verse 19. It says, for after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along the water and sprinkled both the book of God's law and all the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. Then he said, this blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. In the same way, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle and everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so when David's saying the hyssop, he's understanding, you know, th this is what they chose to, to, to spread the blood with. This is, uh, he, he's saying, you know, to cleanse me. Uh, and when he cleansed, you know, ultimately, it was by the blood of the lamb. Uh, and in, in the Old Testament Hebrew Bible, blood was a real lamb. There were real sacrifices. But, but ultimately in Jesus, we look to the one who is the lamb of God. And it's purely by his sacrifice that we have forgiveness. 
Now, in, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, everything kind of points and looks forward to Jesus. And we talk a little bit about that. <laughs> and there's this, this constant uh, thing within the text pointing to the Savior to come. And so all of this ultimately points forward to, but, but to Jesus. Uh, you know, Easter spoiler alert, we're saved by his sacrifice for us. Um, you know, this is how we come to God. We need forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is the only basis uh, forgiveness is only uh, through Jesus. Uh, your sin may be as great as David's or even greater, uh, but there's still forgiveness. There's forgiveness in Jesus alone. Verse 8 says, Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Um, as Isaiah will write much later, uh, Come now, let us settle this says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. And, and sort of the images I, uh, you know, poetry is, is interesting because it has so many images in it. And so the images I, I have in my head here uh, are, is like a giant book with your sin. Picture a book with every way you've sinned written down. Some of you are thinking the book's bigger than others. Some of you, your book is bigger than you think it is. Uh, but you've you got to picture that. And now picture, this is, you know, okay, when I do funerals, we tend to focus on the good, right? You know, there was a, there's a little, there's a joke that, you know, uh, during the, uh, the, the service, the pastor was talking about the deceased and speaking very highly of them, the way they lived. And the, uh, his kids got up in the middle, walked forward and just looked in. And they're like, He's looking at me. He's, oh, we just want to make sure it was Dad you're talking about. <laughs> so please live in a way that I don't have to lie at your funeral. But <laughs> we want you to be the only one lying. Uh, anyway, so, you know, think about this kind of book being read at the end of your life. This is like the anti-funeral, right? Would you want that book written? That You wouldn't want it written. You definitely wouldn't want it read in front of everyone, right? That would be like an awkward, awkward time. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, picture that. Image two, though, is God with a giant eraser. And he comes by, and through Jesus, we have forgiveness, he erases that book. And, and so we don't have to worry about being read, because ultimately, we have forgiveness. It's disappeared. It's gone. Uh, and so God erases, God blots out our sin. Verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Now, some of you are singing a song right now in your head, especially if you were in church in the 90s, I think, because I don't know when he did it, but Keith Green, Create in me a clean heart. Okay, Lewis and Julie got it. Okay, okay we got two there. Do I hear any more? And Come on, you grew up in the church, man, you know that. Nope, no idea. <laughs> we got another one? Any more, any more, any more. Get one more, got, got one more, got one more. One more, and it's free ice cream for everyone. Sorry, too late. <laughs> too late. Uh, Lee's raising her hand online because uh, she actually, when I, was, I sent her this, Lee, Lee monitors our online stuff, and, uh, you know, I, was, I sent her some stuff, uh, you know, to, this morning, and then she's like, oh, I love that song. You know, have you ever heard Chris Green's song? I'm like, I'm literally singing it right now because it's been stuck in my head because every time I read this. And, and so he, he, he did a song based on this. I assume I didn't look it up, but I mean, the words are there, so I'm guessing. Uh, <laughs> I, I always loved that song. I would actually sing it. It was one of the songs I would sing under the bleachers at a wrestling tournament before I went and did battle with somebody. 
Uh, which, because it was like always, for me, it was like this tension when you're, when you're wrestling, but you're trying to be like loving people for Jesus as you try to tear them apart. So like trying to not be hatred, have, yeah, it was always a tension for me. Um, not for the rest of you, but for me, anyway. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I remember singing that song. <laughs> um, and so that's the idea, you know, you want this new heart. And Ezekiel 36 says, sorry, verse 20, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I'll put my spirit in you so that you will uh, follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. You know, we need a new heart to follow Jesus because our old one often leads us astray, right? You know, people like, I, I always hate that advice, follow your heart. On some level, that's good if you're like, you know, praying and, you know, asking God to reveal things to you. But my problem is if I just follow my heart, my heart leads me to all kinds of places it shouldn't go. Because we lead on our natural heart. We need God's new heart. We need God's spirit in us to be uh, what affects us, changes us, and and drives us where we need to go. Uh, Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Um, (laughs) Don't banish me from your presence. You know, David's desire is to be close to God despite sin. Sin separates us from God. Only God's grace through Jesus makes us right with him. You know, and the joy of your salvation. I, I said some time ago, and I, have, I don't think I ever found the source of this quote, but it was a good quote. It's like, some Christians act like they were baptized in vinegar. I mean, we've met them, right? You know, they probably left here because I tell too many jokes. It's okay if you don't like dad jokes. You know, they're godly and they're from the Bible, I tell you. No. <laughs> if, you if you read, the, if, a lot of times the, the humor doesn't come out, but there's a lot of puns in the Bible. So I feel like dad jokes are justified. Um, <laughs> Jesus says some funny things. You know, anyway, you know, some Christians act like they're baptized in vinegar. You know, <laughs> no fun, no laughter. You know, <laughs> more serious than Jesus was. And so sometimes I even get criticized for telling jokes and humor, but I can't help it. You know why? I got joy. Where? Down in my heart. Down in Where? Donde? <laughs> I, I always did kids' church in, like, uh, you know, in other countries, and we did in Spanish, see? Um, but, you know, there's this joy. There's this joy in knowing Jesus. And there's this joy in faith and living within the fence. You know, we often think the joy is outside the fence, and that's why we jump the fence. Then we find out there's, like, Dobermans chasing you on the other side. <laughs> now, I love Dobermans. saw a beautiful one yesterday on the beach. But don't want to jump the fence when the owner's not there with a, you know, big old Rottweiler. I love Rottweilers, too. They got big old chunky heads. I don't like the big old chunky head dogs. Some of you understand. Some of you don't understand. I've lost some of you because you're cat people. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, you know, you know or, or think, of, okay, if you're a cat person, jump over the fence and there's lions there. Like the largest of house cats. Uh, no. <laughs> but, you know, we, we jump the fence because we think there's going to be joy there, but we find there's no joy there. The, the joy is, is, is staying on the side of the fence that God has called us to. Um, it says, Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. Uh, when we know Jesus, we want to share Jesus. You know, it was, it, when we have forgiveness, we want to share that forgiveness. I, 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 I committed my life to Christ after my first year at Pitt wrestling. 
And uh, so it was interesting because I had friends. Then I go back. Jesus does this thing. I'm a different person. I come back. I couldn't wait to tell people. And it, it became obvious. Now, it's interesting because some people are, you know, I still remember one guy who's a friend of mine, uh, still a friend of mine after he said this. He's kind of like, if I could paraphrase what he was saying, you're an idiot. <laughs> like, this is the stupidest thing. Like, are you mentally defective? Why would you believe such a thing? Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, some were like, oh, that's cool, whatever, man. You do you. <laughs> then others were like, you know, hey, I want to know more. Like, I, and some of those took time to get to be, hey, I want to know more. And some of them then even came to church with me, <laughs> and they kind of had this experience with God, and they're believers and followers now. You know, I can't control the responses, uh, <laughs> although we can be learn to be wise in the presentation. Some people, I think, are not offended by the gospel as much as they are you. Um, <laughs> sometimes we present it in ways that, that maybe need a little work. <laughs> and it, it's, you know, it's sort of ironic because when you come to faith in Jesus, that's generally, you know, that, that moment you have this joy and this, like, zeal, but sometimes you don't have the words to put it down in, so maybe come along somebody who's a little older and they can help you, you kind of focus that a little better. <laughs> but, you know, uh, we, we need to share when we believe. That's what David's saying. Verse 16, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. Now, anyone know? Here's a tri Bible trivia question for you. Under the Mosaic Code, the, the, the rules that David had at that time, how do you get forgiveness for adultery and murder, which is what David did. You don't, you die. <laughs> and, and so David had broken some pretty big rules. The penalty deserved was death. Now, being king sometimes helps you when you have a position of power being king. Uh, you can keep things from being enforced, uh, but we'll just leave that there. <laughs> uh, God, but under Mosaic Code, David deserved death. But God doesn't just want... You know, uh, uh, the sacrifices, he, he wants not just outward actions and lip service, but God wants inward change. And he wanted, you know, we should act right after nude. Often said, fake it till you make it. Anyone here ever heard that one? Sometimes that's good advice. Like, you know, if you're like waiting tables and you're in a bad mood, fake it till you make it. Okay, I got it. But that's not something to do with faith. Uh, you know, uh, you know not, good, not good advice for your heart. With your heart, it's don't fake it, let God remake it. Uh, you know, the Holy, the Holy, he calls us to this new life, and then God will empower us to live it. You know, his Holy Spirit comes into us, uh, and so that God lives in, in us, and it changes who we are and how we live, if we let it. Again, faith is like a bike. You knew I'd work that back in there, right? It's two pedals. There's, there's my effort. I have to work at becoming holy because I have to say no to things that I want to do that I know aren't right. And then there's the Holy Spirit working inside of us. Now, he's got like two pedals because he's twice as big. I don't know. <laughs> but the, you know, the idea is both working together give us the kind of life that, that honors God. So, uh, you know, have you ever stopped for a moment and trusted God? It's as simple, like as David, you know, we've talked about A. It's really as simple as A, B, C, you know. Uh, you want to get on the right path? Admit that 
you sin. And then ultimately b believe that, that Jesus came and died for your sins. And you know, David didn't know as much as we do. We, we have a little benefit. A couple thousand years later, a little, little more things going on. We have a little bit more of the Bible. It's a lot thicker now. <laughs> and so we get the benefit of that. And then, then commit to following. And, and that's what faith is, is. It's not just believing, like some of us would, would kind of have it. But it, it means committing to living your life differently because of that. And we live differently because of Jesus. And if you want to know more, see us, connect with us, reach out to us online. Uh, and when we trust Jesus, we can come to him forgiveness. No matter what you've done, he will cleanse us from our sin and he gives us uh, a new life to live.